Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed New York State mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, licensed massage therapist and trauma specialist. And this is The Positive Mind. Where we bring you ideas, concepts, and guests to help you lead a more positively-minded life. And here's a way to check your positivity or your positive-minded life. Are you a yes person or are you a no person? Sometimes it can be that simple. It's that easy. Do I tend to say no a lot? Or do I have an inner sense of always, yes, give me more. Yes, I'm a yes person. You know, what happens in a flash, you can sometimes just check yourself. Am I a yes person? Or basically, am I no? Do I always say no? What would people say about me? Am I a no kind of person? Am I a yes kind of person? Am I a can-do person? Or a cannot person. You know, we're five months into this pandemic. And, you know, it would make sense that the no's have it. The no's would have it at this time of year or for this length of the pandemic. It might be okay to be a no. I find personally myself, I'm often saying no more. I'm narrowing my interests. I'm narrowing my choices. I'm narrowing the things that could upset me and bother me. All because, you know, there's limited options out there in the world as it is now. And I don't want to hear more no's from the world. So it would make sense that I'm saying a little bit more of no in my life. But I'm a yes kind of person. I'm just saying no a lot more lately. How about you? Are you a no person in general? Or are you a yes person? That was the question we asked last week. The Positive Mind radio show, you can find that last week's show, where we started the show asking if you're a yes person or a no person. And we we kind of talked a little bit about the speed of thought, how thought can be very fast. We can We can have our no right away. You know, it's almost lightning fast. Nope, that's me. Nope, that's me. Or yes, that's me. Thinking can go at the speed of light and the speed of sound. We talked also last week about something called explanatory style. When bad things happen to you, what is your explanation to yourself? That's called a style. Do you have a yes style or a no style? We're going to talk more about that today. Nasima, last week we talked about learned helplessness. Today we're going to talk about learned optimism These are two big shows for us. We really think these are important, especially now, especially during this time. Because one thing about learned helplessness is that you have less choice. To the extent that you don't have control over some things, you feel helpless. If you feel in control of everything or most things, you don't feel helpless in that area. You feel in control. I'm capable. I'm, I'm able to move A to B, do certain things. But if you don't have any choice and you don't have any control, then there's a sense of helplessness. And we talked about, you know, this experiment with dogs, and I won't go over it again. Again, you can find that. Um, but it's, uh, it teaches that, you know, if you, whatever you do doesn't make a change in something, you collapse into helplessness. I'll talk a little bit about a human experiment where they did that and showed humans are capable of feeling helpless when 
they can't control something. They just collapse. You'll collapse into helplessness. I've, I recall a story um, from Sweden of these kids who had come as immigrants from Syria and some of the Middle East. And the Swedish government had decided at some point that they were going to send them back. And a couple of these children went into such a deep collapse that it was like they were dead. Right. They couldn't move. Mm. They completely like went into a coma of sorts. The helplessness was so deep. Yes. They they just went almost dead. That kind of makes a lot of sense because look, you're talking about first of all someone who's leaving a war torn country, a very confusing thing, coming sure. to another place where it seems safe. Yes. And now that place says no, get out. Yes. I mean, you know, there's nothing they can do. That's right. And children in our own country and children in general can be oriented to a collapse into helplessness if they're being raised in an adverse circumstance, adverse situation. Children of divorce, you know, before the age of 10 uh, can often be the, the preconditions for helplessness and pessimism in life in general for these children. And so... Children, this might have been the golden opportunity for these children from these other countries. Then they come to a place that looks shining and bright and optimistic, and then they're told, no, you have to go back. You know, this mm. is just like a real reinforcement of of helplessness and pessimism and depression. Why can some children rebound, okay, I have to go back to Syria or to whatever country, and why do some children not and say, you know, I'll never recover from this. or And then you could really see them not recovering, right? I mean, you could see that black cloud over their whole lives because of this early childhood experience. It kind of explains a little bit why some soldiers get PTSD and some don't, or some first responders get PTSD and some don't. If they're kind of set up towards the optimistic way of looking at things which makes things a little more manageable yes. rather than the pessimistic which feels like everything is so huge and overwhelming that I have no impact on my world that one would lead to the other that a sense of helplessness and pessimism would lead to more stress in your system because you know I'm fighting something I can't do anything about yes. or maybe I'm not fighting it anymore I'm giving up right and the bottom of all misery for veterans and for people for these children and for anybody who is really suffering and feeling terrible in life the bottom of it all is a thought the only thing that can really make you suffer and miserable in life is a thought some children will be raised in poverty and not experience depression and some will be raised in poverty and blame themselves and that's a thought. Mm -hmm. That will be a thought. You know, so it would make sense if you want to help children and anybody, really, who's headed for a depression. Or What are the thoughts that you're having? And what are you telling yourself about these thoughts? That's, talk, that's the uh, topic of our show today. We're going to be talking about thoughts and the thoughts that lead to pessimism and the thoughts that lead to optimism. So, Kevin, I'm really curious how we can sort of track or catch these thoughts and understand more, like, whether they're pessimist or optimist. 
The best way is to just look at when something bad happens to you. You know, we, we talked last week about explanatory style. And when something bad happens to you, does the no show up or does the yes show up for you? You know, does the I can't do this or I cannot do this show up? So look at it's not when it's positive when things good are happening to you that these thoughts matter. It's when something bad is happening. So if you if you lose your job, you suddenly fired. Suddenly, say, say some some sudden adversity happens to you, unexpected, caught off guard. Can you think of something that might come at you out of the blue and really be a severe, severe blow for you? What if your partner asks you for a divorce? Out of the blue. You didn't even see it coming. Or your partner cheated on you. You know, you discovered some, that. Mm -hmm. Something really bad, uh, an adverse event. Do you blame yourself right away? And we call that internalization, personalization. You're personalizing it to yourself. Or do you say, no, it's her or him. Yeah, it's their situation. It's what's happening to them. They have a certain amount of control in the situation, and, and I may or may not. Well, they perpetrated the bad event for me, mm -hmm. or I perpetrated the bad event for me. So even if your spouse cheats on you, do you blame yourself? I haven't been attentive lately. I haven't been giving. I've been in a bad mood for, for a long time. Or do you say, this is outrageous, this is her fault, this is his fault, this is what they're doing, what right. they've always done, he chose this has to been a long away. time coming, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You'd be surprised, you know. It happens so fast, people often don't even know what they would do. They don't know if they're blaming themselves or if they're blaming the other. Yeah, and just notice how different that feels when you say, you know, I, I blame myself for what happened to him. I feel so, I feel so helpless in that. It was something that I did or didn't do that made him do something to me, as opposed to he, this is what he did. It really had nothing. This is, he was under his own volition to do what he does. It, yeah. it isn't my fault. Here's a question. You forget your, your, your wife's or your partner's birthday. Do you say, A, I'm not good at remembering birthdays or B, I was preoccupied with other things. I'm not good at remembering birthdays or I, say I was preoccupied good. with other things. I'm, I'm, I'm the first answer. I'm not good with remembering birthdays. So that would be a personalization. That would be a personalization. I'm not good at remembering birthdays. Mm -hmm. But, Nasima, what you're doing there is that you're making it very specific which is another tool. What happens with people who take adversity is that they permanent, make it permanent as a permanent thing, that I always forget birthdays. Right. So that's, that would be an explanatory style that would be negative, that you have a negative or a pessimistic explanatory style. Versus I was preoccupied with other things. That is like finding... Not fault with yourself. It's, it's explaining it in a way that I'm blameless. I'm, it's just I was preoccupied with other things. It was a specific reason that I forgot. And I feel like, you know, if I'm preoccupied with other things, I'm doing, I'm in the process of doing other things. I'm, I'm involved in my life. 
Yes. As opposed to, I'm just someone who's forgetful and I forget other people. No, it's like I was actually involved in something and, and it's human to forget. Yeah, you and your partner, let's say, have been fighting a lot lately. Would you say this, I have been feeling cranky and pressured lately? Or B, he or she has been hostile? A, I have been feeling cranky and pressured lately? Or B, he or she has been hostile lately? I think my initial response would be if I didn't know what we were doing, I would say I, I was cranky. Right. So you would, that would be the negative, you see? Mm -hmm. Isn't it so interesting? People, some people are so blessed, you know, they can just say, well, they're having a bad day. <laughs> you know, every, every bad thing that happens to them. And I, I would recommend to our audience, look, if you want to be happy in life, all you have to do is say, they're having a bad day. Yes. That's it. This is called externalization. You know, it's not, it's the opposite of personalization. So the personalization answer is, uh, he, she has been hostile lately. It's, it's, it's making it an external cause. It's depersonalizing it actually. Right. So this concept of a negative explanatory style, the people that are lucky who always externalize and depersonalize always claim that it's people outside of me. It's their fault, even when it might not be. Are, are, are really having an optimistic way of living. And so I can see how this really plays into like the helplessness aspect of pessimism. It's all my fault and there's nothing I can do about the world I'm experiencing. That's right. So it makes sense that I would say, I'm the one who's cranky. That's why somebody's upset with me. I forget birthdays. That's why mm. they're upset with me. Right. Uh, you know, it's like, it's just a constant sort of self-flagellation. Like yep. I'm so bad. And I can see where that would be connected to a lot of shame, a lot of yes, um, then we can low go into motivation. The, yes. Right. And then yeah. we can go into the mental health causes and, and, and characterizing the quality the types of negative thoughts. But yes. So the, the one sign of helplessness would be how personal do I take it? And do I blame myself first? And that's something I often share with people or try to practice myself is like, stop taking everything so personally. So let's talk about we hear this a lot. Yes. Right. And let's let's take it to COVID. Let's take it to the pandemic. Are there are the things that have happened during the pandemic that you have take, taken personally or blame yourself for? OK, this happened, but I'm also responsible to some degree. For instance, if somebody, you know has gotten the virus and you remember a time you were out to dinner with that person or you were in the car with that person or something, you know, a, an example of personalizing it and a negative explanatory style would be, oh, they must have got it from me. Or they got it from me because I asked them to come out and meet me, you know, or not got it from me, but they got it right. because I asked them to come and have a socially distanced connection. Mm -hmm. Or Nasima, take the example, let's say you yourself got the virus well, you know, externalize that for me. The virus was out in the world. Other people were involved in this. It wasn't me just going and getting the virus and giving it to myself. Like it happened because there were other people that had it. Right. Let's say particularly I didn't do this to myself. The world did this to me. A person did this to me. You're depersonal. You're saying, no, it's, it wasn't anything I did. I took every precaution somebody out there wasn't careless and they gave this to me. That would be an explanatory, an optimistic explanatory style. Now let's, you know, I want to help people with this because an optimistic 
explanatory style is one that says explains it from the external. It's depersonalizing. It's claiming it's coming from somewhere else, and it's not my fault. That's externalization. That's part of optimism. Optimism. People who can maintain an optimistic style are able to attribute the cause of bad events because of other people and other things, not things that I'm in control of. If I'm in control and something bad happens, then it's inescapable. I can't, exp- I, I can't escape blame. But if I'm not in control and something bad happens and I blame somebody else, I have what's called an optimistic explanatory style. And it makes it, I think, a little more manageable when it's outside of me. I can see it. I can potentially do something about it. I can have some effect. I went to the store and I took all precautions and I got it. What to do? I'm going to continue to take care of myself and make sure I get through this. And that's more towards an optimistic style because I feel like I still am empowered. Whereas if it's all my fault, if I'm falling into a pessimistic style... I kind of have no choice in the matter. Yes. It's all happened to me, and I have no way to get out. I'm helpless. Right. So we're, we're trying to prevent, especially this time, right, what, what the world is going through, a sense of helplessness. What do you feel a sense of control over still? What do you feel a sense of choice over? What can you choose now? During all of this, I had a client the other day who said, you know, in some ways, this pandemic has been good for me. It's been good because I've been able to catch up on on a lot of losses that I've suffered, and I'm able really to look at them and process them and feel them right now and really go through them and start fresh. And so it was kind of a metaphor for her need to get rid of all the trash that has been, you know, gathering and, and taking shape over the last few years for her. And finally getting this span of time to let it go, to let it out, to process it and be done with it. But people, not everybody's looking at this pandemic in that way. A lot of people are at this point really wondering, when is this going to end? And nothing, nothing I can do is going to end it. So how do you not collapse into a sense of helplessness? And I've heard some stories around, like, you know, people who feel helpless because of their current, you know, state of their own health. And they feel helpless to be able to live any part of their lives. Like, they're really shut into their homes. Because the potential out there for them getting very ill and potentially dying is is great. I can feel for them. I mean, that's a remarkable state of helplessness that some people have potentially fallen in. And I think that's where, you know, there's some mental health crisis that are happening with people who, who feel this way. It's like helplessness on top of helplessness to top of helplessness. Right. And the first thing we're saying is they're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're trying yeah. to say that if for the rest of this pandemic, you can simply say we, you're watching a bad news broadcast. And you, oh, they're having a bad day. They could be loaded with bad news or the next presidential. Oh, they're having a bad day. You know, they're externalizing it. If the the trick during this especially time of low control over th- situations is to externalize Blame everybody else. Blame. I'm, when, when I, I'm not advocating diminished responsibility. I'm just saying some people are gifted by 
always living that way and I've always had that. And I actually have a brother like that who has always never, never said, you know, it's something I did. It's always, always magically have found reasons outside of him uh, to explain bad luck uh, that you can just say they're having a bad day. So that's the first one. That's the first step towards an optimistic explanatory style. And I forgot to mention this, you know, all of this is in the context of what does it take to succeed? You were talking about somebody who has an explanation for their bad luck that's outside of their control on some level. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Because, okay, so I couldn't control that bad luck. I'm going to take another opportunity to try again. Like it, because it's not about me. It's about something that happened outside of me. And yeah, it was bad luck. But you know what? I'm not a bad person. Mm -hmm. I still have ideas. I'm going to try something else. Right. Well, I've done this study with um, sales, insurance salespeople, right? And there are are certain salespeople that never take it personally. Who who would you imagine would be the most successful salesperson? Somebody with a negative explanatory style? Oh, that's my fault. You know, you call... Eight people in a row cold called them, and every one of them dropped your call within 15 seconds. The ninth call is the charm, and the person, you know, the salesperson is saying, this is the one. This is the opportunity. This person is there, as opposed to the salesperson who say, nothing I can do is going to get this person to buy this insurance. So they've done studies with this explanatory style. It has real effects in the real world. Um, I want to talk about also uh, the you know the sports teams out there. Um, you know they've analyzed comments by professionals, whether the managers or the players, after a game. They're always positive. And well, they try to be because, and they've learned this: that if you're negative, if you're blaming yourself, always that it, it drags the team down. It sends a negative message to the team. So. You know, they must have learned this, that we want to teach all of our players to characterize a loss based on something either they did well or that we didn't do that, that we did, uh, that we don't, aren't blamed for, that we didn't play badly. That's why we lost. The other team was able to get under our defense, you know, so. Yes, they were particularly hot tonight. They hit the ball well, you know. They've studied this. So salespeople, sports teams, they found particularly like the 1985 New York Mets. And this is before they studied this explanatory style that that virtually all the players and, and the manager always explained, not even knowing this uh, concept, that they used ex- uh, positive explanatory reasons for why they would lose or why they were doing well because they got better as the season went along. So let me read a few of the examples of these Mets, uh, the manager, and then the the players' statements about an explanatory style of to why they win or why they lose. So Davey Johnson, the manager of the Mets, says, We lost because they, the other team, made the plays tonight. He's not saying, oh, because we were lousy in the field, uh, such and such guys. And he didn't say we always lose to every team. Right. Well, that's another concept we'll get to. They're sluggers. uh, Let's say he got a a fan angry, and it must have been one of those days. 
right? It's not permanent. He's, he's short-terming it. He's making it very narrow, very specific. Daryl Strawberry says why he missed a fly ball. The ball really carried. I just about got my glove on it, right? I did not make a mistake. Externalization. It was the ball. So this is a real concept about maintaining an optimistic style. So they're finding in order for success that not only do you have to have the ability and you have to have the motivation, you also have to have optimism. Because you can have all the talent in the world, all the uh, capabilities in the world, and all of the desire and motivation in the world. But if you fail temporarily and you blame yourself mercilessly, you take it personally, you are never going to succeed. So there has to be an explanatory style that is going to lead to success. And if your explanatory style is always blaming me whenever something goes wrong, you're never going to reach the goal. So in a way, it's kind of like optimism. You have to persuade yourself to be optimistic. The salesperson who does not get discouraged on the ninth call, you know, they've built a reservoir to not be discouraged. And they've, they've never, they don't bring themselves down with a negative explanatory style when negative events happen. The unsuccessful salesperson or, or athlete is one who will always say, I'm not playing my game. I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not succeeding. I'm not executing properly. You know, I'm having bad nights after bad night. And they're fixated on the negative. That never leads to success. Never. They've done study after study after study of this. And that never leads to success. What leads to success is the problems and the faults happen from outside. I can master and control those forces. I will master and control those forces, and I will succeed. I will not take no for an answer. So it's ability, desire, and optimism. And a note like this, um, they're saying also, just to think positively is not the solution. If you're feeding yourself positive thoughts, like the power of positive thinking, yeah, that is not what uh, aids in success. What aids in success is to be very specific about when bad things happen. Well, I wonder, though, if some of that positive thinking can serve as a little bit of a balm against people who feel really helpless. The self-inflicted wounds that you can give yourself mm-hmm. in helplessness feels like a starting point to not beating myself up. Like, can I, can I think a positive thing about myself? Like, that's true. But it doesn't hold. It never holds. Mm. So, you know, you, once helplessness takes hold and powerlessness takes hold, all the positive thinking, and po- you don't believe them. You're believing that voice in your head that says the fault is with me. The problem is with me. I'm the one who does. It always happens this way. I'm always like this. Right. So the positive thinking, even if it's straight out of a, a book on positive, does not work. What works is learning to not generalize against yourself and internalize bad things that are happening to yourself. That's definitely something that we can we can help teach people how well, to Well, this do. is the first ingredient we're talking about. And when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about the other two variables in optimistic explanatory so- style and that you can use during this pandemic. 
We'll be back with you in a few minutes. You're listening to The Positive Mind. I'm Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, licensed massage therapist and trauma specialist. back. And I wanted to let everybody know, you know, uh, a lot of this, Nassima, is coming from my own research on optimism and helplessness. And there is a father of all this, uh, Marty, Marty Seligman, the father of positive psychology. He's written this book, Learned Optimism. So a lot of what we're talking about today is that optimism and success can be learned, can be taught. And he also wrote, wrote the book, Learned Helplessness as well. So we want to focus on optimism today, and we are. Uh, last week, we focused on helplessness. And it's kind of simple. Some of the concepts are pretty simple. One is how much control do I have? How many choices do I have? People who collapse into helplessness feel like they have no control and have no choice. It's a human, it's an animal phenomenon. This does happen. And during this pandemic, we think it's important to talk about these concepts, helplessness and optimism and hope. You know, at the top, at the top of the show, I asked, uh, are you a yes in general person or a no in general person? What would people say about you? Are you a person who thinks better days are ahead? Quick, right away. Do you think better days are ahead? Are you that type of person? Or do you think, well, pretty much the same is going to happen going down, you know, the future as is happening now? I have no question about where I'm at on this. I am a totally hopeful believer that the better days are ahead. That's just the way I've been all my life. And even though I have suffered, you know, some depression in my life and never helplessness, but I have felt, you know, some dark times, and I have always felt the better days are ahead. So I'm lucky that way. How about you, Nassim? Yeah, I I generally feel the better days are ahead. I also feel like it's still a while to go. And I think I'm trying to be realistic in that. And you know, what would kind of surprise me about dipping into this book is the quiz that he has. And we read a couple of the questions earlier in the show. And I took the quiz. It's 40-some questions. And it's really specific. And it's not the easiest sort of, you know, test to take. Yeah, because there's only an A and a B. There's only an A and a B. What if you feel like there's a C or a D? Yeah, exactly. And you don't have have four choices. You only have two choices. Yeah. So I took this test. And the 
I actually took it twice because I didn't believe the the results of the first time. (laughs) The results of the first time were that I was very pessimistic. Very or just pessimistic? Very pessimistic. It really shocked me Mm -hmm. because I tend to look at myself as a more optimistic person. I think most people would see me as optimistic. I'm always coming up with ideas, trying new things. Yes, you are. I tend to be a yes person. Yes. I, I feel hopeful, definitely. Right. But as I'm here now and, and learning more about this, I'm like, it's really hitting on something really specific around it's it's always my fault. And, and I can see where, like, if I don't succeed, if I do something wrong, yeah, I totally take it on. I take all the responsibility really? for it. I'm the bad one. I have to. And when I look at people who are more successful than I am, they don't do that. Because I think they should, you know, be taking some responsibility. But because they're not, they're they're able to sort of move forward and not knock themselves down so far. That's right. So you don't have so far to get back yes. up. And so it's been really interesting to me to mm. see that because it's like, oh. and And it feels uncomfortable to think about, like, blaming somebody else. Or externalizing it a little bit. Right. There's, there is a, a strange kind of, I think, a loss of control in that, too. If it's all my fault, then I'm in total control. It's a thought that I have, a belief right. that I have. Right. So that makes logical sense. Mm-hmm. But it's not working for you, that logic. Yeah. Right? I, don't think it, I don't think it is. So I think this is level. important on two levels. One is, yes, I do see you as a person who's always finding solution and is generally upbeat most of the time. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, I would say in this aspect, you can learn optimism. You can learn how to target this specific thing. When bad things happen, I always do this and eradicate that. And that's what this book is saying, Learned Optimism by Marty Seligman, that we need to target specific tendencies, specific ways we interpret negative events in order for us to learn how to succeed. The, the second thing I would say is you probably learned this as a kid. You know, that you internalized and explained everything. I would say, anybody who's depressed in my office, I always say, did you feel responsible for your parents? In some way, did you feel, not even if, explain to me how you felt responsible for your parents' unhappiness or whatever, right? That typically depression and a negative explanatory style starts in the home. It starts when you're young. And there are people who are, are hyper-conscientious, you know, hyper-responsible. Do you have children like that? Do you know children like that? Were you hyper-responsible as a child? Can you compare yourself to your brother and sister and say, you know, I'm the one who took responsibility for the image of the family. I'm the one who tried to put a nice veneer on the family. That's a that's a re- recipe for later life depression and not exactly the success that you could have. This is this is remarkable and yes, I I think I can answer yes to a few of those questions well, that you ask. So, and, you, and it's and it's and it's important I think for me to recognize that and and it, and not beat myself up for it because that's what <laughs> a pessimist would do but be like, okay, so what could I what could I possibly do about it, Kevin? Well, I would say all of the things in your life now that aren't going well where you if you were to compare like this would be optimal. This would be me as a success. And why am I not there right now? How is it what 
messages or am I, am I saying daily? Because you could be just you're you're a trauma specialist and you're a body worker and you're um, somatic experiencing many many other things, and you could be transferring all this just like the salesperson. How is it I'm allowing some negative explanations for things as to why maybe my practice isn't as full and as big as it could be? So what would be optimal and what is my explanatory style to myself? We've only talked about the personalization aspect, Nasima. I want to talk about these two other aspects for the second half of the show. And one is the people who succeed and who have an optimistic explanatory style always say, oh, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. So we, in the beginning of the show, we said, they're having a bad day. The second magical phrase for success is, it's only temporary. This too shall pass. When a, success, you know, when a setback happens, oh, it's only temporary. So imagine being a sales and insurance salesperson and, you know, you're having a bad day and you're not making, you're not breaking through with any sales. Well, tomorrow will be a better day. Next week will be better. People are on vacation. People are away. People are that, you know, there's that externalization. People out there are this, or, you know, this is only temporary, you know? I think, I think something that helps me when I, when I struggle with setbacks is to say, okay, that's a setback in one area, right? There's more that I'm doing and I'm going to keep going on what is working, what is moving, what has some life. You know, let me take my focus over there. This isn't happening right now, or it may never happen. I'm just going to shift a little. Perfect. So that's exactly what you do. You can make a left-hand, right-hand column. What am I doing that's working? What am I not doing that's What am I doing not, that's not working? Yeah. So here's a question. You lose. This is question number 20 in the book. You lose your temper with a friend. A, he, she is always nagging me. B, he, she was in a hostile mood. A, he, she is always nagging me. B, he, she was in a hostile mood. This one, I I think I feel in a hostile mood. That's how I answer that one. Yeah, well, there it is. You're externalizing. I lost my temper. There's a very specific reason. It's their cause. They're to blame. Not... Also in this example is this last aspect I want to talk about because she's he, she is always nagging me. This third concept, this third idea that leads to failure and not succeeding is to be saying always, this is always happening or it never happens or it never happens for me, never and always. So it's temporary. It's not personal. Well, this last one, right? This last one, it's happening all over my life, right? People who fail think they're not just failing in their career. They think they're failing in everything. So the, the optimistic way of approaching that is to get specific. In this specific instance, I didn't do well. Right. Like on this test. I didn't do well. Well, let's take the virus. Let's take what's happening now. Mm -hmm. If you can look and think, what could somebody be thinking going global from what's happening now to a, a very specific explanation? The pessimistic look is everyone is out of work, so I'll never find a job again. Okay. 
everyone is out of work. I'll never find a job again. And what would be a more optimistic explanatory style? Because that's a pessimistic explanatory style, right? Very pessimistic. You're going global. You're going absolute. So a lot of people are out of work in certain sectors, getting specific. And I can see that some are being hired back and learning new skills. I'll look to see if my skills apply to some of these new jobs opening up. Yeah, right. Specific, temporary, and external. Specific, temporary, and external. These are the ingredients for an optimistic style. So now you have the ability. I have talent. I have the desire and motivation. And now I have an optimistic explanatory style. Those are the ingredients. You know, so let's transfer that to what's going on here in this country, right? They've studied presidential nominee acceptance speeches, right? Now, what kind of explanatory style would be more successful on a nomination stump speech than other style? What style would be the, have they studied, which would be the more successful explanatory? So Adley Stevenson in this book, he talks about Adley Stevenson um, style. Let me read a piece of Adley Stevenson's acceptance of the uh, Democratic nomination in 1952. When the tumult and the shouting die, when the bands are gone and the lights are dimmed, there is the stark reality of responsibility in an hour of history haunted with those gaunt, grim specters of strife, dissension, and materialism at home, and ruthless, inscrutable, and hostile power abroad. A little pessimistic, I'd say. <laughs> no wonder why he didn't win. Right? As opposed to General Eisenhower, today is the first day of our battle. The road that leads to November is a fighting road. In that fight, I will keep nothing in reserve. I have stood before on the eve of battle, before every attack. It has always been my practice to seek out our men in their camps and along the road and talk with them face to face about their concerns and discuss with them the great mission to which we are all committed. <laughs> so Much more optimistic. Yeah, you know, these things matter. These things matter. These things, you know lead to success and certain things lead to failure. The extremes of these can get pathological. So, you know, we're talking like a, a healthy middle ground here between learned optimism, learned helplessness, mm -hmm. and there are some benefits to both. Well, I'm glad you're saying that because pessimism is a, you know, they're finding that people who are pessimistic, you know, have better judgment than people who are optimistic. So there are some benefits. You know, if you're running a company, you can't have all optimists. You know, you need an accountant. You need somebody who's keeping their eye on the book and saying, uh-uh, we can't spend money on those things, right? Engineers tend to be like people that, like, we can do this, we cannot do that. It's not everything. So you need a company where there are pessimists, you know, the people who aren't just going to jump at the first inspiration, so you're absolutely right, and it is pathological when, you're opt when your optimism is off the charts and every episode, everything you're blaming somebody else for, um, then, you know, you're, you're likely to get it back in spades somewhere along the line. 
So pessimism is a necessary thing for people. Um, the human species, would, we would not have survived if we didn't think about tomorrow and the dangers of today, right? And, you know, we're just a small species and there were, there were big uh, animals out there wanting to get us before we had uh, rifles and whatnot. So how does someone like me like really learn optimism? Well, I like that you want to ground it in reality and, you know, that you're, you're aware that there could be a tendency to seep into non-reality. So I would say find the areas in, in your life where you are being, you know, you're not being temporary. You're being like always and never when you're saying things about yourself or that you're, you're finding that you're taking blame for everything and that your blame has a history. You know, I think that's what therapy is about, and I think that that's the real benefit of therapy. Why, how do I find the cause of all my self-blame? The cause, ultimately, the cause of my depression, and that, that could have its roots and usually does in your childhood. How is it I've explained all the bad events that have happened on me? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you would do that. So temporary, we, we mentioned these temporary external and specific specific so where can i apply those three things to my problems how can i explain i'm only temporarily out of money i'm only temporarily out of work i'm only temporarily in in conflict with that person i'm only temporarily i'm only temporarily i'm only temporarily right and what is the issue with that person that i'm having let's make it specific so Listen, I want to talk to you about this one thing. You know, if there's another thing, then we can face it. But if you're saying it's something about me or something about you that's irreversible and irreconcilable, then it becomes impossible. And I see this in couples therapy. You know, couples will come in. And I say, no, let's be specific. Let, we need, if you want this to work, we need to be specific about where the issues are, not global being reflective, I think I have something around anger, feeling like when somebody's angry at me, it will never stop their anger at me. You know, like that they'll continue to be angry at me until yes. I do something to change it. Hmm. And it's interesting because I tend to avoid letting people get angry at me. Like I'll do whatever I can so that they won't be angry at me. Right. Because I, I have a feeling that there's a certain permanence to anger. Like if you're angry with me once, you'll be angry with me you see, forever. You, you'll have to come see me on a personal level. <laughs> <laughs> you have such important and good issues. There must be something around anger that has a history, you yeah. see? And you're so willing, you're so open to like explore it and think, yeah, let me get to the bottom of this. And, and so it does have a history. And really anger is just anger. And have you, are you able to be angry at somebody forever? No. I, and that's what's so funny. Like, I won't even, right. like, maybe there would be reason for me to be. But I, I always look at people who hold grudges as, like, that's a waste of energy. And maybe I don't hold enough anger to be able to, to, to stand up for myself maybe in times when I should. Right. So it's it's very interesting. I was just thinking about that. And, and I have, you know, my perspective has shifted. I've done my own therapy but but I'm just recognizing what you're saying around this thing of permanence. As I took it yes. a little deeper inside me, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's a thing I have around anger. Like, I'm really afraid if somebody's angry with me once, they'll be angry with me forever. Yes. 
As I hold that a little bit, I'm kind of thinking my knowing of my own anger. I have a feeling that if I really let my anger out, I'd probably be angry at people forever, too. Yeah, so, wow. Because you, you seem like the least angry person I know. And to hear you say, I have a big anger in me, and that it's so rich and so big that it would last forever for certain people. Yeah. Um, that it makes sense that you would hold it back and be afraid that people would be angry at you. Isn't this interesting that people would be angry at you? forever interesting how you so this is a recipe you know this is a recipe for failure as well right how do you learned optimism means to learn and own your feelings and and not attribute them to yourself but to yeah well to attribute them from out coming from the outside and you taking them and learning about them you're refusing to take them in from the outside because you refuse to let anybody get really angry at you and Instead, you're afraid of your own anger at everybody else. Yes. I can see where that's kind of tripped me up. If I'm not able to meet people in that, if I'm not able to meet someone in their anger and know that it's going to pass, it's going to be temporary. Yes. And that I'm not going to be completely annihilated by it, which I think a lot of people fear with anger. Yes. Then... I think I could show up more in my life. Okay. You know, then I think I could be more out there and more brave and not worry so much about what people are thinking of me or, or, you know, these things that can be so self-deprecating or shameful or Mm self-esteem issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's something I like to work with a lot with anger and I've learned a lot. You know, I mean, this is a journey I've been on for good 20 years, but you know, it's like anger... It just just to sort of drop this optimism and helplessness into the emotional life yes. can be an interesting exploration for you and for anyone. I, I totally it was just agree. A, it was just very interesting for me right yeah. here, right now, to say, okay, yeah, hmm, where do I feel most helpless? I feel most helpless with anger. Wow. Emotionally. Yes. And their solution is for it to be temporary and specific, right? Is yeah. it Your fear is that it's always, it's global, it's going to be yeah. permanent. And if I let it out, it's going to destroy everything. Right, right. That's a pessimistic, that's a mm. classic pessimistic statement. Like, I can't do this because it's going to destroy everything. Right. So how about if you're angry about something specific that you can speak up about? Like one specific thing instead of everything. And somebody who's angry, they're angry at you for only one specific thing. They're not angry at the totality of Nasima. They're only angry at one specific thing. So, And it's only temporary. It's, it's not forever. It's only just for this week or this day or this hour. Go ahead. So this has been something in New York. You know, New Yorkers are famous for just saying what they need to say. And being out with their anger and moving on. So, you know, somebody's riding a bicycle on the sidewalk. Okay. It incenses me. And I never say anything about it. Yet down the street, somebody says, get off the sidewalk, you jerk, yes, you know. Right. And, 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 you know, and maybe the other guy says right. something back. And, and, but they move on. Okay. 
And here I am sitting on this rage yes. over why are you on the sidewalk? You should be right. on this. You know. As a question rather than as a statement to get right. it out of you. You're right. on the sidewalk. Get off the sidewalk. I see. You're in a dilemma there. We, we could talk about this for a long time. But I think it's a good illustration for our audience that sometimes it's just an emotion that is the cause of a lot of problems. And, of course, if you want to be a successful salesman or any person, you have to take control of your emotions. An optimistic explanatory style can help you do that, where you will find the temporary, the specific, and the external, not personal, the external causes for whatever event that is happening. We only have a few minutes to see, but let's talk a little bit more about this pandemic and how people can use these skills, this learned optimism to get through the next month. So, Nassima, we only have a couple of minutes left. How can you use this with a client now in your work, in your trauma and your somatic experiencing work? Well, as I'm looking at this, I mean, I see where I, I seem to do this with a lot of my clients, like especially when someone is dealing with like chronic pain. One of the things we work with a lot is to help you get specific about where that pain is, uh-huh. like get it done because pain can feel like it's happening in the whole body. Yes. Sometimes it is. But even if it is happening in the whole body, we can we can sometimes find like very specifically where you're in pain and specifically where you're not in pain. Right. So so sort of sorting it out, getting specific. I know I do this where in my exactly work as well. Uh, yeah. You know, where in your belly is the pain? Mm-hmm. Let's be specific about what what what's the feeling of that pain? Yeah. And uh, you know, what's the color of that pain? Right, right. right. So that's, that, that's getting specific. What about temporary? Is there? So when, you're, when you get specific, kind of one leads to the next, right? So when you get specific, you can sometimes be with it a little bit. It's a little bit easier to be with. Mm. And once you're with it, it tends to change in some way. And so it shows that it's temporary. It isn't constant. And it, and it changes. It, I see. it moves, it shifts, it becomes more, it becomes less. Something about it is temporary. And I think that gives people a little bit of space and ease. And finally, in my work, you know, with uh, the external, finding the external, I often have clients put it out in the world. So you're having an issue with somebody and it's bothering you and they're, you're interjecting them. You're taking them in yourself. And I'm like, no, put them in the chair over there. And say what it is you need to say to them. Often it'll be your mom, your dad. Put some this issue you've been struggling with that's so internal. Let's put it across the room in the chair. What do you need to say to it? And the relief is so palpable. Yeah. The release of that tension when people take it from the internal and put it into the external makes all the difference, makes healing possible. So there's a lot to this learned optimism. We, we wanted to cap off our two shows with this, this last skill. Success, feeling good, requires not just the ability and the time to spend on it and the desire, the motivation. It also t- uh, takes practice, learning to be optimistic, learning not to be negative. Negativity is you know, predominant for the human brain, the human mind. We've needed negativity. But... N- Learned optimism is gaining ground because the many things that we've had to be worried about, we don't need to worry about anymore. And I feel like diving into this exploration can really help you 
work with how you're thinking about things. How are you thinking about your life? How are you thinking about your work? How are you thinking about yourself? Just just be exploring it. So Learned Optimism is the book, How to Change Your Mind and Your Life by Martin Seligman, the father of positive psychology. You've been listening to The Positive Mind. I am Kevin O'Donoghue, licensed New York State mental health counselor. And I'm Nasima Diane Deemer, licensed massage therapist and trauma specialist. And we want to thank some of our affiliates. Thank you to some of our affiliates airing The Positive Mind, KXCR 90.7 in Florence, Oregon, KYGT 102.7 in Idaho Springs, Colorado, KPPQ 104.1 in Ventura, California. And WGRN 94.1 Columbus, Ohio. WRWK 93.9 Richmond, Virginia. And we'd like to thank our producer, Connie Shannon, our chief engineer, Jeff Brady. You can contact us at tffpp.org with questions or comments. You can also find our podcast on many of the podcast platforms, including iTunes, Pandora, you can search for The Positive Mind. Thank you. Have a great time. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.